Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 22 tonight and uh, looking at a parable that uh, there's two things that this parable is about. Both of these are wonderful, good things. Uh, the marriage feast, amen? Come on now, marriage, all right, it's a good thing. All you men better be saying that, amen, right? And a feast, come on, how can you get better than that? And uh, the marriage feast, the parable of the marriage feast. So if you find your place, stand with me together. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, read down through verse 14. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed. Amen. By the way, he didn't say vegetables are prepared right there. Amen. My oxen and fatlings. See, I told you God wasn't a vegetarian, all right? And all things are ready, coming to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entered uh, and treated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw there was a man which had not a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in thither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen let's pray and i'm going to ask um, jeremiah to lead us in prayer i need to take a drink of water and i'm going to do that while you pray please lead us in prayer amen thank you maybe seated of course we've been going through uh, the parables and of course a parable is an earthly <clears throat> story with a heavenly meaning and uh, Jesus would use parables so he would teach uh, because uh, he had truths that truth be told uh, uh, weren't for everyone to grasp and he was trying to get certain people to understand certain things a lot of times the parables were for the disciples but this particular parable was for uh, verse 45 of chapter 21 tells us who it's for the chief priest and the Pharisees that's who this is for and uh, Jesus is trying trying to uh, get them to understand about His first coming and about His second coming. He's trying to get them to understand the importance of uh, doing things His way instead of uh, their way as far, as far as their tradition was. And so He gives them the story of the marriage. Each thing in the story represents, then we'll look at the truths from the parable. First of all, we see in verse 2, a certain king. And of course, that king there uh, represents God the Father. And then that king, it says, which made a marriage for his son. And of course, uh, that of course is Jesus Christ, amen, the Son of God. The servants, uh, we see in verse uh, 22, or chapter 22, verse 3, uh, the first servants mentioned there were the prophets, were uh, represented also John the Baptist and the apostles. Uh, Verse 3 through 5, the ones who would not come and made light of it were the Jews who would not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And of course, uh, I've taught you that before, that the Jews 
When Jesus came the first time, we're looking for a political deliverer, and they were expecting him to come as the lion, not as the lamb. They, they missed the whole thing that uh, he had to first come and pay for the sins of mankind. And so uh, they were looking for a political deliverer. And of course, Jesus one day will be that, but at the time, uh, he was not there for that purpose. So they rejected him as the Messiah. We see then in verse 6, the remnant. It says, the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Of course, that was the heart of who he's talking to. Yeah, that was referencing the religious lost crowd of the day, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and of course, the Jews. And then we see in verse 7, it talks about the city that was burned up. That was a prophetic statement of when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed in A.D. 70. And remember when Jesus said that the temple would be cast down, and he of course was referring to the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus in A.D. 70. The wedding is ready. It's calling out for all people to come to Christ. The gathering, all as many as they found, both bad and good, that is the universal invitation of the gospel, and that is signifying the changing from the emphasis on the Jewish people to that of the church age. Uh, when the king came in, of course, is the second coming of Christ. Uh, verse 11 and 12, kind of an interesting into this parable is the one that came in without a wedding garment. And this is representation of an unbeliever who tries to put on his own righteousness and not accept Christ. What that is, that, that's trying to get to God on our terms instead of going to God on His terms. And that's what that represents. And of course, cast him into the outer darkness uh, is uh, unbelievers being cast into the lake of fire. So that's the representation there of the parable. Now let's get right into the application and the practical truth of this parable. Uh, the, the purpose of the marriage feast, the parable, is a picture uh, for, for Christ as He uh, uh, is referring to, number one, why He is there the first time, and also it's a picture of His second return. And uh, all throughout the Scripture, folks, uh, Jesus is reminding them uh, the fact that, yes, I am here to be the Lamb. I am here to die for the sins of mankind, but I am coming back one of these days to establish my kingdom. All through the Gospels, Jesus reminded them of a future kingdom uh, for which He's going to come. I just finished reading through today uh, the Old Testament, and I finished with the book of Malachi. And one of the things that um, uh, it was emphasized all throughout as I read those, those minor and major prophets there through, through there through the Old Testament was all throughout the mentioning of those, God makes several promises about a one day uh, when He's going to one day come and establish that kingdom. And so, folks, I'm telling you, it may not have happened yet, but it is going to happen. And of course, again, that reminder in this parable of His second coming. Of course, the Jews rejected Christ at His first coming, but at His second coming, He will be accepted as their King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's what we see as far as an overview of the timing we will in the parable. So let's get right into it. First of all, I want you to notice this in verse 2. Let's talk about for the, the bridegroom for a minute. Notice what He says, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And if of course, that's talking about, folks, Christ and His special relationship with His church. And I know it may seem kind of weird that, you know, especially we as men, that we're considered, you know, a, bri- uh, a bride, right? You know, we're a bride of Christ. But of course, it's, it's speaking figuratively of Christ's special relationship with His church. We see that mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5. Of course, Ephesians chapter 5 is uh, the uh, a lot of instruction given to relationships, uh, but particularly 
particularly here, we see the relationship of a husband and a wife, and that being likened to the relationship Christ has with His church. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. And we see this comparison here of Jesus and where He is at, or should I say where He's supposed to be at in His church. The fact that He is the head of the church. And uh, you know, folks, uh, as the pastor, I'm not the head of the church. I'm the under-shepherd under the chief shepherd. Amen? But Christ is the head of His church. And here's what the Bible says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ. Amen? You say, well, how do we know what Jesus wants for us to do? Well, He left us an instruction manual. Amen? He told us exactly what He wants for us to do. And that's the job of the under-shepherd is to let the flock know what the chief shepherd wants for us to do. Amen? And so listen, you know, tell what a good pastor is going to do. He's going to get up and he's going to tell you the message from the shepherd. Amen? He's going to tell you, thus saith the Lord. And that's why it's important that we have Bible preaching in church and not just opinions in church. Amen? That we have sermons that come from God and not little sermonettes to tickle the ears. And unfortunately, that's what happens in a lot of churches uh, in this day and age we're living in. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Man, Jesus proved His love not by just what He said, but what He did. Amen? He was a, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth His love. Amen? He proved it. He showed it. And let me say this, no one could ever accuse Jesus Christ of not loving His church. Man, He loves us. I don't know about you folks, but let me tell you something. Uh, I just sometimes get overwhelmed by how much God loves me. The devil don't want you thinking about that, amen? The devil doesn't want you thinking about how much the Lord loves and cares for us. And sometimes when you're down, sometimes when you get discouraged, you ought to think about how much Christ loves His church and gave Himself for it. Now why? Now look at these last couple of verses here, because this is important. It explains that relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, I understand something, folks. I get it. Amen? As the church, it's comprised of we the people, and we the people are still sinners dealing with the flesh. Amen? I get that. I understand that. But let me say this. That should be no excuse for us not to try to live up to what our bridegroom's trying to get us to be. Amen? That's why I always say you ought to be more like Christ this month than you were last month. You ought to love Him a little more today than you did yesterday. Why? So that we can uh, be on our way of sanctification, that process of sanctification, where He's going to present His church to Himself holy and without blemish. By the way, you know when that's going to happen? It's going to happen when that trumpet sounds. Amen? And that's why the, uh, the, the rapture is about the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's about us being called home uh, to our, with our bridegroom. What a wonderful representation we see here when it talks about that the certain king, God the Father, made a marriage for his son. And so it's all about Christ. Have you started to figure it out as you read the Bible? You know what it centers around? You know what the theme of the Scripture is? Amen? It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. 
He's found all throughout it. Amen? And let me tell you, He's going to be the focal point of all eternity. It's the Son, Jesus Christ. Man, what a wonderful, exciting thing that is. So we see here, first of all, the Son, Jesus Christ, represents the bridegroom there. And then we see mentioned in verse 3, uh, we see the servants. Amen? The servants. And by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to steal my message from Sunday uh, for, for this coming Sunday. I'm going to be talking a little bit about this on Sunday. Uh, but you know what, folks? We ought to be servants to our Master. Amen? Why? Because i tell you why. We belong to Him. That's why. Amen? Now, we didn't always belong to Him. Okay? We used to be servants unto sin, Right? Amen. Before we were saved, we belonged to the devil. We didn't belong to him. But praise God, he purchased us with his own blood. So now, guess what? We belong to him. Let me just say this. You know what he expects from us, folks? What is reasonable? That's what the Bible says. Which is your reasonable. Why in the world do we think in our minds that it's such a big deal for us as Christians to give our all to God and serve him? Let me tell you, according to the Bible, that's reasonable. Amen. That's not even that really, you know, some huge monumental task. It's reasonable because we belong to Him. We're the servants. And it says here, and He sent forth the servants. By the way, you know what? He's still sending forth the servants. He's still sending us forth. Amen? And He said uh, uh, to call them that were bidden to the wedding. Now, what I like about this is you read through here about the servants. First of all, you read about the servants in verse 3, the servants and the other servants in verse 4 through 6, and just mentioned as his servants in Matthew 7 through 10. All those represent different ages of service. For example, verse 3 represents the prophets. Uh, Verse 4 through 6, John the Baptist, the apostles and disciples. And then 7 through 10, every born-again Christian. Amen? So it's particularly singled out those particular groups, but we're all servants. But what's interesting here is that the servants are sent forth to call them that are bidden to the wedding. Now, the servants aren't to go out and force people to come to the wedding. That's not what it says. All they do is go out, and we're going to see that next, is to solicit the invitation to come. Amen? I mean, come on, folks, think about it. I mean, uh, he, he, God has prepared this amazing feast. According, you know, the parable, of course, uh, the, the representation, this feast, and He wants everyone to come to the feast. I mean, kind of like what we did here last uh, uh, Sunday. I mean, we, we, prepared, we, we prepared a physical feast, all right? And uh, we ate good here Sunday, amen? We prepared a physical, a physical feast. And what we've been doing, we've been going out. What do you think these invitation cards are about? Why do we go out Saturday and canvas Patoka? We're inviting people to the feast. Now, truth be told, not as many people that we invited came. But some people did, Amen. But the servants are to go out and they're to uh, invite to the feast. And it says that they're to go out into the highways. Amen? That's talking about where people are at. That's where you're to go. Go out in the highways. Notice what else he says. As many as ye shall find. Notice here particularly too, both bad and good. Okay? Listen, God doesn't care. He wants everyone to come to the feast. Amen? Now, I think he wrote that in there for our sake, both bad and good. Because truth be told, folks, the ground's level at the cross, and when it comes to uh, God's view of things, we're all bad. Amen? But I think he put that in there for us to help us, both bad and good. You know, because we, as, you know, as, as sanctified sinners, you know, we like to compartmentalize different sins, right? 
well, I'm not as bad as that person, you know. I mean, we compare ourselves to each other instead of comparing ourselves to who we ought to be comparing ourselves to, amen? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you compare yourself to where we ought to, ain't none of us are half as good as we think we are, I can tell you that. But he says, listen, invite them all. I don't care who it is. Let me just say this, folks. When we're out talking to folks, it's so easy. I'm going to tell you, human nature is to, even if you don't think that you are prejudiced towards certain groups of people, we are. I'll give you an example. All right? Lord, Lord convicted my heart. I was leaving the church uh, Saturday night. And uh, uh, I was going home after finishing up my studying. And uh, I got ready to pull out. And I looked across the parking lot. And I saw our neighbors over there that are living in that apartment building. And uh, you can look out and see their stuff out there. They've kind of got a cool thing going on in the alleyway there between the two buildings. Lights hanging. And I saw them all sitting out there. I got my truck. I started it up. And I drove off. And the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh. I'm like, come on, Lord. I've already been out today. I've already been invited. I've got to go make another visit. He says, go back. All right, so you know what I did? Put the turn signal on. Circled the block. Pulled back in. Amen. Hopped out. Went, took an invitation card to him. Amen. And uh, you know what? Uh, uh, because truth be told, folks, everybody needs it. All right? And we can't compartmentalize people based upon, you know, a social status or where they live or don't live or where they live on the north side or the south side or whatever it may be, both good and bad. Listen, get the invitation out to everyone. That's what the servants are to do. Now, it's interesting here because you see different reactions, okay? You see that in verse 3, 5, and 10. First of all, it talks about those that would not come. By the way, that has been the... That's been the case ever since God's been calling people ever from the beginning. Hey, I kind of remember someone preaching for 120 years about judgment. A symbol of judgment in front of everybody. And you know what? Nobody came. we got to stop measuring success based upon who comes, and we need to measure success upon our obedience to the Master. Amen? Because that's true success. By the way, read through the Old Testament. Look at Read some of them prophets. You know what, Brother Jeremiah, if, if he were alive today, everybody would look at him and say, he's a lousy prophet. But that guy can't even, all he's doing is crying all the time, weeping, moaning, groaning. You know, he didn't have hardly anybody that responded to his preaching, but you know what, in God's eyes, he was a success because he was obedient. Amen? And that's what the measuring stick for success is. Not necessarily how many people come, but whether or not we're obedient. Amen? By the way, that's my motivation for going out and knocking on doors. That's my number one motivation, amen, is because God tells me to do it. Now, once I get out there and start warming up to people, then, then my love meter starts kicking in a little bit, amen? But truth be told, it's more about obedience than anything else. So we see here that, that you found those that would not come. And then look at verse 5. This is interesting that, they, that he uh, put this in there. They made light of it. Start making fun of about it. Oh, wedding, oh yeah, okay, you know. Kind of like how when we talk to people, invite people, you know, they just kind of make light of it. Well, you know, here's what I hear all the time. Well, I'll try. Let me tell you what that means. That's just a nice way of telling me no. I'd rather someone flat out say, no, not interested, than someone says, yeah, I'll try. Quit lying to me. You're not going to try. We know what that means, right? They just make light of it. It's not to them, not that real. It's not a priority. Amen. And then we see this, verse 10, even though there was those that would not come, those that made light of it, praise God for this. Notice what it says, the wedding was furnished with guests. You know what? People accepted the invitation. And let me say this, folks. You know what? There's still people accepting the invitation. Yep, that's right. We just got to get out there and find them. And we got to, 
not let the fact that people aren't coming and not let the fact that some people make light of it to discourage us enough to quit to, to keep staying out there and inviting because some people will come. And you know what? We've got a testament to it right here. Amen? And that's why we do what we do because I promise you this, folks, the wedding's going to get furnished, all right? Because God's still working on hearts. There's still prepared hearts out there. We just got to get out there and find them. Amen? Remember what the servants were supposed to do? They were to go. Amen? They were to get out there. And then we see uh, in verse 11, uh, notice what he says here. Uh, he says this, okay? And when the king came in to see the guests. Now, praise the Lord, folks. Guess what? The king is going to soon be coming to see the guests. Amen. Amen. I promise you the king's coming, all right? He's delaying a little bit, but hey, that's his business. He's the one that decides when the right time is. Let me tell you what I've always found out. I've always found out God's timing is the best timing. I was talking to Brother Young today on the phone and asking him how the hunt for the building in Jasper was. And, man, I related to everything he was saying, amen, because <laughs> we lived it not that long ago. And pretty much the same scenario was happening to him that, was, that happened to us for a while. And I was able to encourage him a little bit, talk to him a little bit. Brother Dice, I talked to him today as well. And another church planner over in Carmine, same thing, trying to get that building, trying to figure it out, amen. But eventually, you know what they're going to figure out? They're going to figure out what we figured out. God's timing is perfect. Amen? And folks, I know the king may be delaying a little bit. And in our minds, all right, maybe it's not the right timing. But you know what? God doesn't consult us when He's going to do something, okay? He's God. He's going to do what He wants to do. Amen? Because He's God. And so I promise you, though, even though it may be delayed a little bit, I can promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the king's coming. Amen? Amen? He's going to come. And the king came in. To see the guests. Man, praise God. He's coming in. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. Now, this is interesting because when he came in, there was, uh, it says he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. Now, if you understand the culture, what that's talking about was that when a guest was inviting to a wedding, the, 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 the king or the person that invited them provided the garment for them to put on. Okay, they didn't have to bring their own or what they came in. If it didn't meet the standard of going in, you know what? The one that hosted the wedding provided the garment for them to come into. And so when you read this, it may not make a lot of sense unless you think of it in that way. Because truth be told, uh, the reason that the man didn't have on the garment wasn't that there wasn't one available. He chose not to put it on. That was the problem here. And notice the reaction of the king. And he saith unto him, now notice here, friend. And let me say this, folks, you know what? That's why the Bible says Jesus is a friend of sinners, okay? Because this speaks of his love for people, all right? Friend, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's not how he addressed him as. He said, friend, how camest thou not in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You know what that speaks of, folks? No one's going to have any excuses when they face God one of these days. No excuses. You know what they're going to be? Speechless. Because they're going to know they were wrong. Amen? And what's so sad about this is that it wasn't that there wasn't a garment available. The man, the guest, chose not to put the garment on. And it speaks of the fact that mankind, again, is always trying to get to God their way. In their own righteousness, their way. Just like the guy that told me one day, well, me and God have a deal worked out. Well, I hate to tell you, folks, ain't nobody make deals with God. You either come God's way or you don't come at all. Okay? And notice uh, what happened here. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, 
Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it speaks of the finality of those who don't come God's way. Amen? I mean, the, the fact that uh, there's only one uh, uh, destiny waiting for them, and that's what he says here, outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, talking about a direct a picture there of hell and the lake of fire. And then notice the very last statement in verse 14. Very interesting. For many are called, but few are chosen. Mm. I think of Matthew chapter 7, how that relates directly to that, about the different ways, the different gates, the different paths. Amen? Now listen, folks, you know what? God wants everybody. Amen? Sure He does. But truth be told, and according to the Scripture, more people is going to be in hell than heaven. Because that road to eternal life is very narrow compared to the masses. Right? For many are called, but few are chosen. Now let me show you one more thing here. Let me give you another example of this particular parable and how it relates. Flip over, if you will, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We see this parable Jesus told living out here in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. And of course, Paul on his missionary journeys, man, Paul, you talk about living an exciting life that God called him to. I mean, my goodness, Paul was everywhere. Paul got all kinds of reactions from people. Here we see Paul preaching a message at a place called Mars Hill. In Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Let's just read a couple verses here. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. I mean, listen, folks, this, this crazy philosophies that are out there today, we think they're new to this generation. Are you kidding me? There's nothing new under the sun, man. That was going on all the way back in, in Paul's day. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not temple made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent." Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by them, by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, notice here, some mocked, others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed." among the which was uh, Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, 
and others with them. So here's what you see. You see the Apostle Paul living out exactly what God said in that parable. You see man's blind devotion. Just as those Pharisees and the scribes, they were blind to who Jesus Christ was. Uh, You see here these people in Athens blind to who the true God was. In fact, Paul uh, even uh, used that as an illustration. He says, you know, I mean, you're, you're an altar praying to an altar that's literally you're praying to the unknown God. I mean, you're praying to someone that you don't even know? I mean, how ridiculous and how crazy was that? And so um, we see the uh, the blind devotion there, just as Jesus uh, dealt with uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. And then we also see, of course, Paul's message. And what is that message? The same re- message Jesus was, was preaching, amen? Repent, amen? Repent and believe on Christ. And then again, you see the people's response. Notice there, some mocked. Very interesting. Okay, the same as refusing to come. Others said, we will hear thee again of this matter, making light of it. But praise God, there were some that clave unto him and believed. And so, folks, listen, as we're dealing with people, you're going to find all facets of that right there. And people, for the most part, fall into those types of categories when you're talking to them. You're going to have your mockers, amen? You're going to have those that just flat out uh, will mock you and uh, revile you and curse you. And by the way, don't get discouraged by that. Get encouraged by that. Because let me tell you why you ought to be encouraged. First of all, Jesus said you ought to rejoice because great your reward in heaven, amen? So listen to me. Don't get discouraged if you get mocked at, you get jeered at. You get cussed out, door slammed in your face, or whatever they may do to you, which isn't that bad, by the way, here in America, all right? Come on now, we need to toughen up a little bit, amen? We need to get some thick skin. They ain't cutting our heads off yet, amen? And so uh, some people may mock, but that's okay, all right? That's just the way people are. Some people are. Others will tell you they're going to hear again of this matter. Those are people that may, may show you a little bit of interest, but truth be told, it's not really a priority to them. But praise God, you will find those that believe. Amen? And so listen to me, folks. All this that we see going on as we interact with people, as we do our part to try to reach people, listen, that's all what the Bible says it's going to be, okay? So again, don't get discouraged. Get encouraged. And the main thing is, hey, let's ask the servants, keep doing what the servants did there, and keep going out. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, folks, I promise you the king's going to be coming soon. Amen? And guess what? All opportunity to do anything for the king will be over then. So while that time that God's allowed us, the space of grace, the door of mercy is still open, let's take advantage of it. Amen? And uh, praise the Lord here for the, the marriage and the feast. Let's pray.